Welcome to the Carrero Podcast. Before we get started today, we would like to inform our listeners that Carrero is supported by edX Global. It's an international nonprofit where we work with K-12 students as they work with their local and global communities, providing service learning activities. In 2022, we are asking for your support in raising $20,000. It is to assist our students and their activities in creating gardens for schools and communities, purchasing and delivering blankets for the homeless, providing curriculum for teachers across the world, purchasing backpacks and filling them with educational items for students in need, and collecting and delivering food and toiletry items for the local homeless organizations. You can donate with Venmo using at edacts-global, or you can go to our website, which is www.edxglobal.org, spelled edacts G-L-O-B-A-L dot org and donate. We appreciate your support. Thank you. Hi, this is Malia Hoffman. I'm here with Fred Ramirez and you're listening to the Carrero Podcast. Today we have two guests, Jane and John Hirsch. They started the mission of 306 Foundation to help build healthy communities. One way that goal is realized is through a program created in 2013 called Toolbox for Life with the number four. Offered in three trimesters, this holistic construction and culinary training programs are offered free of charge to students coming from domestic violence, human trafficking, addiction behaviors, mental health challenges, incarceration, and or those without a permanent home. Entirely volunteer-based, the model brings together a wide continuum of demographics within the Central Florida community to grow and learn from one another. Good morning, and thank you for joining us. So from your bios, you stated that you were born and raised in the Midwest and found one another in Florida. Can you share a little bit about how that came about? This must be the part we're going to have to edit out because we can't tell you. (laughs) (laughs) We actually met in church. I had been in Miami for just a month or two with a new job, and John had already been there for about four years. And I showed up at this new church, and he was already there at Key Biscayne, and a mutual friend who was in the Coast Guard introduced us. I saw her a couple of months before when she showed up, but I kept my distance. (laughs) Was it that Midwestern draw, you know, like Midwesterners always find each other? Was that what... (laughs) <laughs> the corn in our teeth. We know one another. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I don't think that I knew that he was from the Midwest, and, and I mean, until we got deeper talking. Yeah. But yeah, I think that came out pretty quickly. We found out that uh, we had some mutual acquaintances um, <laughs> from her being in the Cincinnati area, and I went to school in Chicago. And, there were people from Cincinnati that uh, were at my university and she recognized names and, you know, and then it was, you know, just a lot of mutuality, I guess. And, uh, it's crazy. So small world. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. 
Well, and then with with that, were you both working um, within the church, or were you just attending church, or were you working at, at different at different places? We were pedestrian churchgoers. <laughs> we weren't the professional Christians, but I had uh, John was in um, financial services in Miami, and I had just moved down from Cincinnati uh, as the new marketing director for an accounting firm there. Oh. So I was. Um, professional marketing and uh he was in finance so yeah we were both in business at the time when we met wonderful and then and then you were you you were also mentioning with within your bio something about crew um can you share about the about the work in crew or well first of all what it what it what it stands for um and what the mission is and what the projects are yeah um somewhere along oh boy maybe 15 years ago, Campus Crusade for Christ, uh, which is still the legal entity worldwide, uh, decided to kind of change their name. And they've been using the crew moniker on college campuses for years. Uh, just was known, hey, going to the crew meeting. And it was just short for Campus Crusade. And so they did some research and found out that that was, you know, uh, the name that they were going to go with. Actually, they had all these other sophisticated names, but somebody just said, well, what about, why don't we just use crew? We've been using that on the college campuses. So I had an association with crew back uh, shortly after I had gotten out of college. I worked for a couple of years in Chicago. And long story short, I worked, ended up working for Josh McDowell, who was part of the Campus Crusade uh, organization, still is, I believe, uh, back then. And uh, lived in Dallas and worked with him. And then I went to Miami and went back into business. And uh, Jane and I, of course, met and married there. And then um, jump ahead a few years and uh, kind of cross paths with Bill Bright, the founder of Campus Crusade, who I'd gotten to know while working with Josh. Asked me, have you ever thought about coming back on staff again? And I said, no. <laughs> Wasn't I, you know, been there, done that. And, uh, and literally about two months later, we're uh, in Miami, or excuse me, we're in uh, Orlando, uh, the current time back then living in San Antonio, uh, talking with Bill and Bonnet Wright about me coming back on staff, Jane coming on staff. Uh, Dr. Bright is notorious, too, for somehow always hearing from God about somebody else's life too. It was kind of always the story like, well, I think God wants you. And it was always to, to Dr. Bright's benefit too, for folks to come on staff that he always said, uh, God was talking to him about other people's lives. Yeah. So yeah, Bill Bright has a plan for your life. So uh, yeah. So in 1995, we moved to Orlando and I worked on some projects with Dr. Bright and uh, then went on to some other areas within Campus Crusade. Jane, uh, we had two more kids um, here and uh, when she got a little clear of that, uh, they, in other words, they got older that she was able to return to some of her skill sets of uh, writing and editing and did that and, and then eventually had a stint in international uh, kind of staff care because we ended up living overseas for a while as well. Um, so that's all of that answer more than maybe you want to relate no, to no. no, in fact, in fact, um, one of the follow-ups um, questions that I that I do have because I do know a lot of people that that, that are on staff. Um, 
or that are or that are um, in the mission field um, doing doing a lot of work. How how was that as kind of a you know newly married um, n- newly married couple with with kids going going on staff where where you just and 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 for those that don't know that are that are listening when you when when you go on staff, it's not just that you necessarily automatically get this salary. You have to go out and you have to get, you know, people to help you out. How, how, how was that as, as a, as a married, married couple? Well, quite frankly, John did the bulk of it. So uh, the way it was set up was, According to your salary determined by, you know, where you live and the size of your family. So if you were head honcho of an apartment, it, it didn't really matter because it was based kind of on your familial need, if you will, rather than your rank within the ministry. And, you know, there would be times where, and, and the folks who were involved with us, we called them ministry partners. And they really were because they were partnering with us with any one of a number of resources, either either prayer or finances or making introductions to us for others to hear what we were doing in this realm and, and inviting them in to join us. And so John was doing a lot of that while I was kind of taking care of the kids too. And, and there's obviously some crossover because you're trying to approach everything as a team, right? right. Um, but it, it's a whole other full-time job in reality. You've got the, the actual job within the ministry. You've got the, the parenting and raising the family. And then this whole element of raising up financial partners, which feels like a very much the third full-time job. Yeah, I, I mean, I had been on staff, like I said, with uh, Josh McDowell for five years as a single person, so I kind of knew that part of it, and that was it. Just was raising more money, so we had a you know a newly born child, and then the two of us, and and uh, we went from San Antonio to Orlando, so it was I think pretty much a wash in terms of cost of living, but uh, but yeah, it's it's a uh, it's a it's. It's got several parts to it. I mean, Games Crusade's philosophy, and I agree with it, is it's it's a ministry to raise money in terms of inviting people to join in and a, a vision of something and come alongside you. And it also reinforces the call in, um, in doing that work, that you're, you're not taking it lightly. Uh, you're kind of committed, and you need to be, because um, you're going to have some ups and downs. There's very few people that just raise support, you know, super fast and it's super easy that's that's not that's the exception you know you're going to have some some stick-to-itiveness is going to need to happen in the process and then as your your family increases and grows you're raising more money for those that second child third child and and uh, but it's a good system it's worked well for quite a number of years and um it was fine um you know we we married uh rather quickly we were a little older and we met each other like I said at church and got married and so I think um, you know we've been very fortunate we've been married is it 28 or 29 years in it's gonna be September, 29. 29 years in September and um, you know you you're a whole different person you're two or three different people in that of course of that period of time um, so uh, 
yeah. I mean, you're, you're moving overseas. That was a whole other thing, you know, and then, and then coming back from overseas. I mean, that was, uh, shell shock, you know, that was, that was a whole other thing. So you, 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 you kind of have you, some things happen that are out of your control and then you adjust and you grow. And sometimes that growth, uh, is not always comfortable. It's, as Richard Rohr says, it's not scheduled, it's not convenient, it doesn't feel good. And so you deal with that and you grow as a person and, you, and God has to get more real and authentic or you, or, or you won't, you know. Uh, you've got to have that, uh, that space in there of mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just a part of Christian growth and life that we all have to work with. After 23 years of working with Crew, you decided to start your own organization, 306. So what inspired you to do this, and then what does that organization do? A monument of lunacy. <laughs> <laughs> That's where all good ideas come from. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it, uh, I'm going to let Jane start with that because it really started with something that she was doing ministerially on staff. I'll just enter. I'll just introduce it in a sense that when you work at headquarters like we did, you're not actually in the field, so to speak, like on a college campus or working in the military ministry, the inner city. And so they give you some time each week to have your own ministry. And so Jane uh, kind of had a a way that she entered into a ministry that she didn't even know was going to start. Well, the burden was I'm a really good baker. <laughs> but, and, and actually, it was kind of through a series of events where I started this baking business and started a website and had a, you know, grew a fairly robust internet um, business and sold these short, award winning shortbread. Um, across some different gourmet food stores and coffee shops and different outlets across central Florida. And it, it was my way of being a part of a community with one without really trying just because it was something that I loved. It was, um, when I give talks about uh, career and social entrepreneurship and, and finding your place in the world, I talk about where your art and your heart overlap. And this shortbread business feels very um, inane and um, benign, and yet it's something I love to do. And we committed within this ministry of getting to know people in that food community, also committing whatever profit I would make to organizations coming alongside women and children in Central Florida who were committed to these demographics in the areas of education and healthcare. Because while we were reading and meeting with people and hearing from folks around the world, pursuing folks who were doing similar bodies of work all over the country, we found, and this proverb may be very familiar to you guys, that we're, uh, women and women hold up half the sky. It's a Chinese proverb. And so we wanted to commit in terms of making our community better. We wanted to commit where it could make the most impact and where, what, you know, finding the demographics where that would be most meaningful. And it was in the lives of women and children in Central Florida. So, it you know, you can say that it was altruistic, but honestly, I, I feel like, wanting our community to be better is sort of a selfish thing. Like that's in my best interest. Correct. If, 
if I am partnering with people and being proactive in ways that that lift my community and, and come alongside. So this baking business went on for a couple of years and um, it was kind of parallel to that, that the idea of sex trafficking was rearing its ugly head and um, it wasn't quite the savvy topic that, that or the, the topic that people are really kind of savvy and, and more knowledge about, knowledgeable about now. And so there was an organization here in town that was really committed to sex trafficking awareness. John was committing his admin skills and gifts in coaching the people who were kind of getting that started and had already made great strides in awareness. And so it was kind of this momentum while being on staff where we could be volunteering and doing these things till we were blue in the face, which would be fine. But, but what is, what's causing these things to actually take place? Like taking a step back and and trying to recognize what it was that was um, initially a problem. And um, that's kind of when the idea of this foundation and, and building an infrastructure to inform the rest of our, our career. Yeah, so as she was doing that and she was doing international staff care and I was doing some special projects in the president's office, it kind of came to a point, too, where crew came to us and just said, hey, um, you know, what you're doing is awesome, but you kind of, we want you to make a choice. You know, you either absorb that into and take that ministry into crew, which was fine. I understood all that and there were some rules and guidelines and and we understood that. And, uh, but they were wonderfully gracious. They gave us about a year to just think through, you know, how would you do that or uh, stop doing it at all, which we knew that wasn't going to happen. Or uh, do we start something on our own? And so that's why we started 306 uh, Foundation um, was to facilitate continuing to do. So Jane was continuing to do the baking business uh, we were uh, continuing to get involved in the, the area of uh, human trafficking with women and children. And um, so we had an overlap. And then we kind of got to a point of, okay, so what, what are we going to do with this? And that's when we started our first program, which was a culinary program within 306 Foundation for women. Wow. So, so what is what does 306 stand for? So... Uh, the summer that we were putting in place the paperwork to become a 501c3, we were coming back from a trip to the West, out West, and uh, the kids were with us, and we stopped in Memphis at the Civil Rights Museum mm-hmm. there. Oh, wow. It used to be the Lorraine Motel. Yeah. There have been so many great things open up in the last couple of years. I almost forget one of the original, the names of one of the originals. And we were at that museum and um, our work here in Central Florida, however nominal, you know, we have a couple of people who we really have an enormous amount of respect for. And Dr. Martin Luther King is one of those people. And of course, he was in Memphis at the time where he was advocating on behalf of the black sanitation workers. Mm -hmm. And we really... You know, knowing what we look like and knowing, you know, 
our history and how we benefit and not even knowing what we don't know. We really resonate with his concern for how the world saw the least of these. And, and let me just interject real quick that at the beginning of that summer, I had asked a friend, I said, you know, we're going to start the filing paperwork and I don't know what to call this thing. <laughs> so I didn't want to get all in the weeds on research and, you know, all kinds of cutesiness and whatever. I said, just pray for us as we're moving through the summer on this vacation. We're going to stop in these places. Uh, is to the God would put on our hearts something uh, of uh, about the name and, and a little bit more uh, kind of focusing on the mission and all that kind of stuff. So we're in Memphis. We're at the museum, Lorraine Motel, which was where Martin Luther King spent the last night of his life. And um, we're walking literally to the car, and I just happened to glance up out of curiosity. I want, I wonder what his room number was, and it was room 306. Oh. And so I just went, that's it, 306 Foundation, done. Mm. <laughs> Thank you, God. <laughs> wow. Because it does spark a conversation. It gives us the opportunity to, to express more comprehensively the heart of what we're attempting to do and yeah. um, and who by whose example we're, we're trying to do it as well. Wow, that's... That's amazing. It's inspiring. I got goosebumps when you were just yeah, talking yeah. about that. Yeah. <laughs> so did I. Do you remember well, your first clients? Uh, yeah. Well, what happened was, uh, so we came back, that was a summer, and we were doing all these other projects, and we worked through, you know, a series of objectives and goals. And so by the following um, spring, we realized that Jane had all these relationships in the culinary community. And we wanted to do a program was where we thought we could have the most impact and be the most help as women were recovering from or getting out of and trying to move on from uh, human trafficking. And so we uh, got a, we got a Jane and five other ladies and myself had the first class that spring. One chef. We had one chef, and he taught all the classes. It was one day a week for eight weeks. That was our test pilot program. Toolbox for Life. And we called it Toolbox for Life, which another friend helped us come up with that idea for that name. And uh, and I think we had about six or eight uh, ladies that were in the program for that deal. And we met every, every, it went from nine to noon and, or yeah, about there. And then afterwards we would all sit down together in the rooms like, okay, what do we do right? What do we do wrong? What, what can we improve? What should we add? And we came up with ideas. And when we were finished, we decided that, okay, we're going to do this again. And we're going to go to two days a week. And then after that semester, we went to three days a week. And then after that, a uh, year we added uh, another semester. We started doing fall, winter, and spring. And we just add, and we started adding other chefs. Uh, so now we've had, I don't know, probably 50 plus chefs come through and teach classes. And we added internships and just, I mean, all kinds of other parts and pieces to it. And it's just grown over 10 years. And it wasn't just the jobs training. We had a day of how well we approached it as a kind of a holistic curriculum because it's one thing for somebody to 
show up to a, a potential job with knife skills, but if they haven't dealt with some of the other areas of their life, that person showing up with just knife skills for a new job yeah. may not be the best candidate. Right. So we wanted it to make, to make it volunteer-based, mm-hmm. and we have this philosophy where the volunteers have as much to learn from the students as the students might glean from the volunteers, and have uh, open up a, a dialogue and provide an environment where these folks can overlap. But the volunteers were bringing their their best game. So it was the banker teaching about personal finance. It was the yoga teacher teaching uh, a yoga class, you know, and it was personal uh, skills, life and professional skills, and then a health and wellness element. So we built into the programming some different um, ways to measure um, health improvements or different areas of the students' lives where they wanted to make incremental changes in their lives and talk them about smart goals and things like that. So it, it was um, building in 360 into the actual jobs training. We pretty quickly learned uh, from a mentor of ours, um, Father Greg Boyle out at Homeboy Industries, had an opportunity to meet him early on. And he has had a huge influence in our personal lives. He's become a friend, a mentor. He's come to town a couple times and spoken at our annual event. And uh, we just learned very quickly from him that healing is really the key in all of our lives. Mm-hmm. And to the degree that you experience healing, it will help move you on into life uh, and move you forward in life. And that's um, something that we really took to heart and not just for our students, but like Jane said, for our volunteers, it was a high value for us that we really wanted our volunteers to understand that it's not you coming here kind of teaching down to the student, but you um, lowering yourself and raising them up on an equal playing field in a safe environment to um, experience healing. And, uh, and we've had some volunteers break into, break into tears while they're presenting about whatever it is that they're talking about, sharing their own story. Uh, so it's been a, been a great experience that way. I have a, a side question. So I know that you said that you're working with uh, women, but in some cases, boys, right? Children are sex trafficked too. So what, what happens when they want to be involved? Uh, do you have other organizations that you direct them to or do you let them in or how does that work? (laughs) There are some pretty excellent services here in central Florida because Florida is number three behind California and Texas Texas Mm -hmm. in terms of human trafficking, because we've got, you know, the farming industry, we've got tourism. um, You know, we, we have it all, Mm -hmm. unfortunately or fortunately here in, in Florida. And we had some um, parameters for our students. Initially it was just going to be women because we didn't know what their stories were coming in. So we wanted it to be a a safe place for them without any triggers or potential for hard things. Mm -hmm. Also um, they needed to be at least 18. Mm -hmm. So if anyone was younger, um, we were going to defer to other programs just because that, um, we didn't want that mix. We didn't want adults with children and also it required a whole different insurance policy for us, as well as those younger folks. We want them in school. Yeah. Um, that would be our preference. Mm-hmm. And so we also would do it at times that were 
working with the local public school system so that we would only have class when kids were in school as well because we did not provide childcare. One of the other important parameters for us is that they had permanent housing for at least the time that we were all together because we wanted them to be able to be actually present when they showed up and not have that incredible emotional anvil over their heads while they're trying to concentrate and come to class. And our transportation system in Central Florida is... Getting better. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we'll leave it at that. So, you know, it was... uh, We had students coming one way, two hours. You know, they would go right past the area where we held class, but, you know, their bus had to make a transfer downtown. And, you know, they're just... It is really expensive and exhausting to live in poverty. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so... The other thing is, too, is that we were learning through this process. We didn't come to this as any kind of an expert at all. I would still say that we're not, although people think that we are. And we we certainly have learned a lot in 10 years, but we just know what we know. And we know we don't know other things. And and we defer to people that uh, know more. And we're constantly reading books and researching it and so forth and so on. I guess we've just built a better grid, in other words, to sift life experience through our own lives as well as others. Um, But five years into the culinary program, um, we took a sabbatical and came back and I started a construction program with the same model, Um, but we were uh, rehabbing and repairing homes in the Orlando area Uh, for those that needed help. And so that's when we also added and allowed men to enter into the culinary program. Um, And uh, so that started and, and that was fine. And we just, we, I guess we had a certain level of confidence or we learned some things and um, just got to a point where um, we felt like we could, we could do that. And, and it, it, and it worked. It was, it was fine. Uh, we obviously had to, to ask some extra questions, I think, of men applying just to make sure that they were going to be safe because that's the main key is to have a safe environment. The other thing that we learned in those first five years, and probably part of the reason that we did expand the program fairly quickly, was that we found that women who had experienced human trafficking and, and actually um, labor indentured servitude is much larger than than sex trafficking all over the world, let alone Florida. Um, but we just found out that, that um, men and women are experiencing abuse, uh, mental health issues, addiction behaviors, may have been incarcerated, had lived uh, homelessly, combination of all the above, and of course the trafficking issue. So, um, so we expanded our program to involve uh, folks who had experienced those other things and, um, and that was a, just, again, you learn stuff, you add more things in programmatically and how you bring folks into the program and so on and so forth. Um, this is, this is amazing because what you're, what, what you're speaking towards is, I don't think it's a um, coincidence beat because there's, there's someone else that we're, that we're going to be speaking with later on who's, who's doing kind of the same thing, but but, you know, elsewhere. Um, 
But one of the things that that you brought up was Father Father Greg Boyle, and I've you know, and I've read his book, and I've living living out out here in Southern California. I've been I've been going out there just, you know, if if I could do anything, you know, just buying stuff and blah blah blah. blah. Um, and so so with that tone and and knowing how how he how he writes, are there um, first of all, how many people have you have you if 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 you if you know how many people have you supported and what are some of the some of the stories of some of the people and don't mention their their real names but what are you know who are some of these people that that you've been supporting over the years By supporting you mean students that have gone through a program yes or? yes um yeah well a couple of things one um a good number of our students are in an existing program because I said, like before, the nature of things is that they're they may be are in a, an addiction behavior program, a mental health program, uh, uh, an in betweener program, having just left jail or prison or what have you, uh, homeless shelter in the process of trying to find permanent housing. Um, so we've our programs come alongside in most cases with those programs. And so we're not their core uh, source of, of uh, education and moving forward and so forth. We're supplemental to that, uh, which is great and been wonderful. And we have a lot of great relationships with a lot of other organizations. But given that, we have tried to do our best to keep in touch with all of our students. So we have a handful or two of people that we've stayed in closer touch with and actually brought them back to our program to speak to our students. That's one of the things we learned uh, to do is on the first day of classes, bring a graduate in and have them say, hey, I was sitting where you are. I was feeling this and this, maybe you do. Um, it's okay, these people are safe people, you know, so on and so forth. So uh, one that immediately comes to mind is a lady I'll just call Alice, uh, who uh, was probably a little older, uh, I'll say early 50s. And, uh, but she had, in her own admission, had kind of run through everything in her life. You know, jobs, family, we're tired of hearing from her, her own kids, ex-husband, all these kinds of things. And uh, so when she came to us, she was, she was pretty desperate. And in one of these housing situations, uh, had some past addiction behavior. Um, and uh, it just really clicked for her. And, um, you know, we're always taking people from where they are to their next best step. So some of those people are here and some of those people are up here, you know, and ready just to boom, catch their wings and fly. So she, um, for whatever reason, what we shared with her and what we did really helped her. She left our program and went to an advanced culinary program, got her certificate there, got, got, got a job, got an apartment, got uh, a car, um, started going to the health club and come to talk to our students whenever we needed them. We did a little video on her, um, actually that is on our website. If you want to look at that, and um, yeah, just awesome. And um, I don't know, is there a story in particular you want to share? Well, or? I just, I think about the raw 
laugh out loud humor that uh, I think it speaks to the safe place that these folks um, felt like they were in when they were with us. And it really did feel like sacred ground. And I say this tongue in cheek just because they, they brought it up and it was, it was humorous to them, but I learned more about illicit drugs. I think then I could have learned any other way. And there were some really hilarious stories that they were telling on themselves. And I just think in any other context, this would be wildly unbelievable. And yet in that community, it was safe. It was hilarious. They were the first ones to laugh. And it was just, we, we could all let our hair down. And I think um, that spoke to, that speaks of them yeah. as much as any other element. But I, I also remember people saying, because we're doing some research in terms of creating a, a helpful resource for others who might like to replicate this program in their own communities and adapt it for what they think would be appropriate and helpful within their own communities. And so I'm going through and calling all of these stories and remembering so many students like a week or two in would say, oh, I can't believe we only have seven more weeks or I can't believe we only have six more weeks together. And, and feeling the enormous awe and um, just a feeling in awe of these people who were willing to be their full selves in a place where um, we had been strangers, you know, two days prior or, you know, something like that. I, I, I think um, that says more about them and their willingness to change than it says about any other element of the program too. It, uh, just as a bit of confession, I don't know if this is a parallel to that question or whatever, or telling on myself, but uh Early on in the program, and for a while, I, uh, as a believer, kind of got a little angry. Um, I was angry at society. I was angry at church. I was um, because I was just hearing these stories of loss and grief and and conflict and lack of resources and all kinds of things, and and the fact that here were folks that really didn't know who we were. And I could tell we're skeptical when, you know, they came in for their interview. Some were pretty excited because they were just excited to do somebody wanted them. But some people I could tell, you know, were a little more reserved and, and you could just sense that they had been injured so many times. Um, and so that begins to feed into your information bank and you have to process that. And then you see the lack and I guess what tripped it for me was when Jane was just saying how freely they were sharing, ended up trusting us and sharing with us fairly, in some cases fairly quickly. Um, and then I was putting that up against my experience in some church Sunday school classes that was so inch deep, you know, and here we were this, we were six, seven, eight, nine, ten inches deep compared to an inch. And I was comparing that and I was like, oh, what, what are we, what are we losing? in church each week because we're not feeling safe enough and vulnerable enough to just spill our guts, you know? And again, some of these folks uh, emotionally, we're not operating at a little bit of level, a higher maturity level, but at the same time, all of the things that are going on in churches these days that are not 
a whole lot different in some instances from general society. And that ought to be a place where we can be vulnerable and get the help we need. And uh, so that was another part of a story, I guess, related to our students. Um, and uh, one other I'll add just to wrap that answer that question is, is we had a gal come in and boy, uh, she was a single mom. Um, she, she was on it from day one. She wanted to suck everything out of the program she possibly could. And she did. If we told her to do something, she did it. May have did it, done it two or three times stronger. Um, and by the time we were finished, uh, we would had got to that point where employers would come around looking for our, our graduates to hire them. They hired her. Uh, the president of the company gave her a loan to buy somebody else's company's car with wow. no interest. Um, she got an apartment. She she got a couple promotions. Um, but I will say this, she escalated and did extremely well at the same time. She went back to the old neighborhood and when she went back to the old neighborhood, it took all that away. Mm. It unraveled and, uh, and it's sad and people don't always want to share those kinds of stories. But she was doing extremely well, extremely well. But then she went back, got into those old, old habit patterns, and it just, it was a train wreck. And I can't even find her anymore. Mm. Uh, gosh. So there you go. <laughs> One extreme to the other. No, I think it's just as important to tell, you know, the failures as it is the success stories, right? And And some of what I heard you say was that... Um, you created this community, this safe community where people could be their authentic self, which um, ideally is the goal of, you know, our education system and our faith systems and things like that. But it doesn't, it's not always achieved. So it's really neat to hear you share those stories. And, and maybe, maybe she'll come back, you know, maybe she'll come back to you. Mm -hmm. She'll find you, right? She knows where to find you. Um, and so, you know, you can hold on to that because certainly you've made an impact on her. Well, and the important thing is too, is people aren't projects mm -hmm. and all we can do is Greg Boyle says, is shine a light on the light switch. Yeah. And it's not our, it's not reflective of us personally, uh, that whether somebody, you know, succeeds or fails or whatever, mm -hmm. then it's about us, you know, and it's not. We don't want it to be about us. Uh, so that's a way to guard against something like that happening. Yeah. What would you say has prepared you the most for what you're currently doing? Um, I, well, let me just say this. We're actually in a, a bit of a transition. Uh, we're looking at doing what we've done differently. Uh, some parts maybe no, no longer. Uh, I'm actually going back to school to get a master's degree in counseling this summer. Wow. Uh, I don't know how all that's going to weave into what we do, how we do it, um, but we'll figure that out. And so all I can say is, is what's prepared us is I guess the last 10 years have prepared us for whatever it is on how it's going to look. Um, and uh, COVID has certainly played a role in that, 
but that's fine. You know, I mean, again, it's God's program, and I don't mean to sound ultra spiritual because I am not, but but that's the truth. You know, whether, whether I acknowledge it or live it or not is another thing. But the truth is, is <laughs> he's got it figured out, um, and I want to respond well, no matter what the circumstances are, and make the most of of it that I can. There's something always in that to to learn. So that's that's kind of where I am. I where Jane is too. Well, I I am. In fact, I'm looking to get back into the business world and have been um, meeting with with my network here in Central Florida and seeking out the people who are doing the work and been charged within their organizations to um, commit to leveling the playing field in the areas of diversity, equity, and inclusion and looking for a place where my writing, editing, and marketing can be used to move that needle. So that's where I'm looking. And in the meantime, have been volunteering the, that skill set to some startup Black-owned businesses in the Southeast and some nonprofits that can use that skill set so that I'm um, actually trying to build credibility in that community instead of just sitting back going, hire me because I can do this. I want to prove that to that community. And so, you know, the last couple of decades have brought me to a point where, and and quite frankly, since COVID and um, taking some pretty marvelous, intensive anti-racism curriculum, um, the past two years have um, deconstructed me. And I'd like to think that I am a different, better person, um, still learning, to be able to enter into this space knowing what I look like and um, folks not not being prepared for me to be a disruptor because I'm, <laughs> I'm ready to do that. So I love that. That's amazing. Yeah, and that's... Well, go on, Jim. I was just going to say, and so we've been using some of our time, like Jane said, to kind of capture our stories or our, what we've done the last 10 years. And if, if uh, carefully just trying to figure out should we move forward with putting this into a booklet, book form, you know, something to help others um, and uh, encourage them to get out and do something or, or, or whatever that might be. Yeah. And that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that I've been seeing since I'm um, I've been out of high red now for maybe a good year. And my, and my background has been in DEI and social, social justice for decades trying to get back into higher ed um, is that, is that oftentimes we, we, people fail, fail to recognize someone's worth um, just by looking at them. Um, And, and I think that's one of the disservices in which, in which the DEI world has, has, has been going through. Uh, And I'm, and I'm the first to say it, Um, you know, because there's, and that's that's one of the reasons why why we have this podcast is that we wish to hear people's stories uh, because everyone's stories is important, um, and and each and each one of us has something to give. Um, the issue, and and John, you 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 brought it up well, is that it's not us; it's other people. Uh, the problem isn't with our hearts; it's the problem is with other people's hearts. Um, and, and one of the things that I think, um, 
we keep on doing is is just sharing who we are. Um, and by and by doing that, then you know we're going to get that get that word out, and then people are going to be attracted to it. Um, and saying all of that, you know, having a five hundred one c three also. What advice would you give to people wanting to start up a 501c3? I have some very strong feelings about just a few core things. <laughs> and um, some in the area of DEI, which speaks to nonprofits, which speaks to you know lifting your community, my first question is to someone, as a follower of Jesus Christ is, you know, do you consider yourself pro-life? And if yes, then could you conceive of the possibility that just because you don't have the same lived experience as another person, could their lived experience still be true? And just lead them into a, a line of questioning where, um, looking as we do, we, do, we don't know a lot, we don't even know what we don't know in terms of how systems and organizations and businesses and how we live have, have always arced to our benefit. And just asking people if they would be open, you know, as you start a 501c3, what, what's your intent? Um, you know, questioning kind of that whole idea of, of the white savior questioning what the intent of the charity or aims are and actually delving into American history and, and seeing what themes have come out of a true understanding of, a, of American history and maybe finding the answers in that. I mean, systems still exist, whether people want to admit it or not, that continue to benefit and, and some people and to the exclusion of others. And I think seeing those themes in American history, in true American history, really could direct and inform people about where best to um, pursue their efforts in terms of wanting to start a nonprofit and then talking with the community. Just because you think it's a good idea, it may not be what the community wants or needs. And, you know, there's a there's a philosophy that the closer you are to a problem, the closer you are to the solution. And nothing gets done well and permanently outside of the context of relationship. So the person starting that organization better have some great relationships and done their homework and sweated and done a lot of legwork to understand what the issues are and then figure out and ask from that community, what, what do you need? that would be helpful and where can I enter in with my skill set and my resources? Um, I guess on the same coin, other side, um, the first thing that can't always comes to my mind when somebody talks to me about that is, um, you know, um, is there somebody else already doing what you want to do that you could go work with and learn from and, uh, you know, put your toe in the water, you know, you know, just, just don't run out and just file paperwork and, and it's expensive to do. So, 
you know, go, uh, whatever it is that you're interested in, go find, do some research, find out, ask a lot of questions, go interview people. Um, it's just like if somebody wants to become an architect, you know, go talk to architects, you know, go talk to construction people, builders, supplier, you know, whatever, learn all those things. And then, um, uh, and then, and then work with them, intern with them, volunteer, uh, and do that for a year or two. And then if you still feel like somebody's, you know, you could supplement it somehow, um, you know, go, like Jane says, probably go talk directly with who you want to work with and see what they have to say. If you, because there's a lot of organizations out there doing things that they think people need their help that have never spoken with the people that they're helping with, trying to help. Um, and, and I'll go on to say, it's a lot of churches doing work for people who they think need their help that never really enters into a conversation. It's happened here in Orlando. I can't tell you how many times, because I've heard the stories from the people supposedly getting helped, that they just show up and do whatever they want, and they don't even really talk to us, or they don't even really know. What, they just assume they know what we need, because they bring their lifestyle to our community and think that that's that we just we want what they have in their community without ever asking us what we really want or need uh, or understanding the problems behind the need, you know. And that's takes time. It takes a lot of effort to be a student of something and and really learning before you just haul off and you know start a nonprofit. Um, so. Uh, and, and I'm speaking from probably actually, you know, we've, we've been involved in humanitarian aid work. We've been involved in ministry. We've been involved in a lot of different things. Um, we probably went in a little half cocked. Um, and fortunately it didn't really bite us in the rear end. You know, we, we learned enough or had enough people involved that knew that, um, that we did, we did okay. We met Greg early in the in the game. <laughs> we met some other people early in the game, yeah. and um, and worked with some other organizations too. First, so yeah, it sounds like you went into it though, knowing that you didn't know everything. I mean, I heard you say that earlier today, and I think that's some like a reflection of intelligence, right? Like in our education process we learn that the more you know, the more you know that you don't know. <laughs> and, and I think you went into it with, you know, good intentions of wanting to help, but also understanding. And you said too earlier, you're not experts. And I think that that provides an opportunity for growth. And you also described how you reflected along the process and each time you tried to make it better. And so I think that that's um, a really good way to approach doing philanthropy in the way that you're, you're doing it. Um, gosh, I, th I feel like we could talk for, for literally hours about this. Um, but we, <laughs> so do anyone want to hear, to hear <laughs> uh, but we want to be respectful of your time and we have another um, recording coming up here. But, um, as we close this up, we like to ask our guests what their call to action is. And this is a takeaway that you wish for people to learn from you. So what is your call to action? That is a great challenge. 
and I think um, especially in this day and age, being opening, being open to hearing from someone who doesn't look or has, or or someone who has not lived the way you have. And I actually have a title um, that I'd like to suggest because I, I am. It tells me about where people are and what their interests are and where they're coming from sometimes when I ask people what they're reading. And there is a gentleman by the name of Jamar Tisby who has written The Color of Compromise. It's right here. I don't know if it... Mm-hmm. Yep, can see it. And She just happens to have a copy. <laughs> <laughs> and that'll really help uh, seeing that book for all the people who might be listening. Uh, but it talks about, quite frankly, racism in the American church. And it's been profound and heartbreaking and enlightening and a hard, necessary read. And I think for where I'm coming from and other folks who might be drawn to that, I, I think there's uh, some great wisdom to be had from that title. And so I think just being open to listening to someone's lived experience and recognizing that we all have a responsibility in leveling the playing field would be my. Yeah. I, I um, uh, echo that. Uh, and the book uh, is extremely well um, researched. Not that that necessarily means anything these days, but, but he, he, I mean, you know, it's all kinds of comments about truth, but, um, but I'm just saying he, he's, he's done a lot of legwork to just hand over information that is irrefutable. I mean, it's just, these things happen and it's, it, it's, it's, it's too bad that they happen, but it's, it's, uh, it's just glad that he's documented and found a way to, to do that. And I guess likened to that, I would add to check your ego at the door. It is not about you. You know, Rick Warren wrote a great book about that, that the very first chapter uh, in his book, um, oh boy, I can't remember what it is right now, but everybody knows who he is. His very first book, um, you know, just, Try to try to get past yourself, and I'm speaking to myself in saying this, and 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 really hear and listen uh, to someone's story, and don't try to correct them, don't try to 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 spin it, don't it just just absorb it, just appreciate and stand in awe of their story. We are all made the image of God, and so all of us have dignity and great worth. And um, so to try to step aside from all the biases that we all have and hear that, you know, hear what they have to say. I love that. What a great way to put a bow on this (laughs) conversation. (laughs) Jane and John, thank you for your time today. And thank you for all the work that you're doing in the community and making a difference and coming at it. Uh, with a good heart. So just wanted to say thank you for that. Well, most most days. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for your service, too. My pleasure. Yeah, thanks for what you're doing, because I know it takes a lot of work to do a podcast. And so thanks for doing what you're doing. Yeah, we appreciate that. Thank you.